Welcome to Sane Split, a podcast about staying sane when relationships end. I am AJ Jakubowska, family law lawyer and mediator. Just like you, I'm human. I understand what can happen when people separate. Lots of questions swirling around like confetti. Lots of uncertainty, perhaps anger, disappointment, or even pain. Sleepless nights, shallow breathing. Will I ever be happy again? Will the kids be okay? How much is all this going to cost? All of these questions are human and you're not alone. This podcast features my thoughts about separation and my interviews with other humans who help people when their relationships end. People who assist with legal issues, who mediate, who look after hearts and minds, and even after the pocketbook. People who might help you plan your future. What you will hear is not legal advice. These are dialogues primarily about the human aspect of separation. We will try to stay away from legal lingo. It's humans talking to humans. I hope that something you hear will help you navigate your way to a sane split. Welcome and thanks for tuning in. I have a blog post on my website entitled Write a First Refusal, and it has received a tremendous amount of interest. So I thought that a brief episode devoted to this subject may be useful to some of you as well. I want to clarify exactly what I will be talking about because in family law, the phrase right of first refusal can be used in at least two different contexts. When two people separate and one of them wants to buy out the other's interest in either a matrimonial home or a common residence, for example, we sometimes talk about the person wishing to buy out the other as wanting to have the right of first refusal. So the legal question here would be the following. Before the house is sold in the open market, if one of the spouses wants to buy out the other's interest, do they have the right of first refusal? Do they get a chance to make a proposal first and must their proposal be considered before the house is offered to a potential buyer in the open market? Put another way, can the family court force one separated spouse to sell to the other? In Ontario, there is a specific legal answer to that question. But this type of right of first refusal is not what I'm going to talk about here. My focus will be on caring for children and who should have care if one parent is not available to care for the children on their time. In modern parlance, this consideration or a potential clause in a parenting plan is what is called assuring priority of parental care. If you have listened to other episodes of this podcast, you know that I go on quite a bit, as they say, about kids and their preeminent importance in any separation. They are innocent bystanders to their parents' separation. 
all discussion about decision-making for them, their residence, access to them, their schooling, any issue related to them must be child-focused and not based on what is best for either parent. Again, the focus is on the child. So why do I bring this up here? Because the right of first refusal should be approached the same way from the perspective of the child's best interests, not the rights of either parent. There is no automatic right of first refusal in Ontario. Parents can negotiate and agree to their respective rights of first refusal and include a clause about this issue in a parenting plan, for example. But if they cannot agree, the court or an arbitrator will have to resolve the issue for them by order or award. You know that I love practical examples. So here's one to illustrate exactly what I'm talking about here. Chad and Tom have two kids and they're separated. They are negotiating a parenting plan and the right of first refusal has come up. In terms of residence, their kids are old enough to handle a week-on, week-off schedule. So the kids will be sharing their residence with each of their dads. Here is the question Chad and Tom are considering. If either of them is unable to care for the kids during their week, should that time be offered to the other dad before arrangements are made for a babysitter or a relative to look after the kids, for example? For many parents, the automatic answer is yes. But some parents do not agree on this issue, and again, if they don't, either an arbitrator or a judge will have to make the decision for them. When I mediate for separated couples, and on this podcast as well, as I tackle different subjects, I often talk about how the law, a family court judge, might approach an issue. You might say, we're not in court, so why is this relevant to me? Why do I need to consider how a family court judge might tackle this disagreement between me and the other parent? Because you need to have some measuring stick, some way of figuring out, assessing at least, the strength or weakness of your position on an issue. In mediation, we sometimes refer to this as BATNA, B-A-T-N-A, which stands for Best Alternative to a Negotiated Agreement. If you take a position in negotiations, is that a strong position? Because, for example, you would do better in court if you ended up there or just as well as you offer. So the question is, what is your BATNA, your best alternative to a negotiated agreement. If your position in the negotiation would not be backed up by a family court judge, then you may not have a strong hand. I say may because other considerations may come into play here, but that is the basic concept. So that is why I talk about court from time to time and how a family court judge might view the issue. So let's look at the right of first refusal 
through the eyes of a hypothetical family court judge, viewing the case between Tom and Chad in the event they end up there. What questions might that judge ask? What factors might that judge take into account? First and foremost, what is in the best interest of Tom's and Chad's kids? Not all kids out there, not any kids, those kids. The best interest test, which is applied to a particular child or children before the court, is the overriding test. This means that before a family court judge, what might make sense for a child in a particular case may not make sense for a child of another family. Yes, even the Supreme Court of Canada has tackled the issue of best interests. And in the case of Young versus Young, which is a 1993 decision, the Honorable Madame Justice Leroy Dubé commented on this issue as follows. I'm going to quote her here because I think her quote is very useful and illustrative. A wide latitude under the best interest test permits courts to respond to the spectrum of factors which can both positively and negatively affect a child. Such discretion also permits the judge to focus on the needs of the particular child before him or her, recognizing that what may constitute stressful or damaging circumstances for one child may not necessarily have the same effect on another. So here is an important takeaway. The answer to whether the right of first refusal should apply to particular kids may differ not only between families, but also between siblings in a particular family, because their unique needs and circumstances may differ based on illness or disability, for example. There is another important principle which family court judges have to take into account, and that is the maximum contact principle and its relative, so to speak, the friendly parent principle about which I will talk in another episode. The maximum contact principle is the idea that each parent has the right to spend as much time with the children as possible. But there is an important qualifier here, and that is that such contact must be consistent with the child's best interests. The effect is at least twofold. Number one, the maximum contact principle is subordinate to the best interests principle, and this has been confirmed by case law, including by the Court of Appeal in Ontario. In other words, as a parent, you may insist that you have the right of first refusal, but before the court, the primary consideration will be what is in your child's best interests based on their unique needs, stage of development, and both the positive and negative effect of your having this arrangement. And number two, the inquiry, the consideration of whether the right of first refusal makes sense in your case will be child-focused, seen through the lens of what is best for the child and not what is best for you. So what other questions might a judge ask? 
when facing parents who cannot agree on this point. Here's another important one. How much time are we talking about here? In other words, when is this right of first refusal to actually kick in? I've seen separation agreements drafted by others which talk about two hours, for example, meaning a parent is to be given the opportunity to have the children as soon as the two-hour threshold is reached. If the other parent is unable to care for the kids for even as little as two hours. From my perspective, such clauses make little sense. Children from non-intact families, particularly young children, benefit greatly from structure and the predictability of their time with each parent. Particularly for younger children, a parent parachuting into their care for a short period of time may be confusing and downright disruptive. But this is clearly an issue you should consider with your lawyer because there are many other factors and circumstances that need to be taken into account. The question has a different frame around it if we're talking about an overnight. So in practical terms and using our hypothetical, should Chad be given an opportunity to have the kids with him if Tom is away overnight during his week? I think the general response from most family law lawyers would be yes, but again, there may be circumstances in this family that are unique, so that what most people would see as obvious may not actually be best for Chad's and Tom's kids. We would have to have more facts for our hypothetical. Here's another point to consider. If in a case both parents get the right of first refusal, should their kick-in periods be the same? Uh, they do not have to be. Because again, the test before the court would be what is in the best interests of that child or those kids. And in a recent September 2020 case of Spadaccini Kaleva and Kaleva, the Honorable Mr. Justice Kurtz tackles this very issue in appeals related to an arbitration award. If you're interested in this decision, shoot me an email and I will send you a copy. Sadly, in high-conflict cases, competition and mistrust often come into play. Sometimes a parent insists on having a right of first refusal because they feel it will give them a sense of satisfaction that the other parent will not have the autonomy to make arrangements for the kids in their household, even when they're not available for a period as short as two hours. It's not truly about having meaningful time with the kids, but rather about besting the other parent, forcing them into an arrangement which may not be convenient or actually best for the kids. Sometimes there is animosity between a parent and the other parent's family. So in our hypothetical example, Tom may be insisting on a right of first refusal after two hours because he doesn't want the children to be with Chad's parents. Again, that may not make sense when considered with all other relevant factors, facts, and circumstances. 
Then there is the issue of child support and the fact that the amount of time each parent has the children in their care may impact on child support. Some parents count hours to get to the 40% threshold, which enables them to get their foot in the door, so to speak, to argue that the table amount of child support should not apply in their case. Keeping calendars and counting hours is something courts frown on, but that is a subject for another episode. I hope my brief overview of this issue of right of first refusal was of assistance to you, that it will help you make some decisions, direct your steps to legal advice, for example, or help you in your discussions with the other parent. It's all about doing everything you can to have a sane split. Thank you for listening. I hope you will tune in again. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach me through my website, separationinontario.com. Subscribing to the podcast through your favorite app will make future episodes available to you automatically. Signing off for now.